0: This episode is brought to you by Harry's.com, where you can get high-quality shaving products for about half the price of name-brand razors. Plus, get $5 off your order when you use the offer code BEST at checkout. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Nantucket Project, the Tom Hartman Program, the David Packman Show, the Majority Report, the New Hampshire Rebellion, activism with the New Hampshire Rebellion, and the Young Turks.
1: So all across Hong Kong, over the past couple weeks, students have been striking. In 2007, China said that the governor would be elected by popular vote by 2017. But last month, at the end of last month, a committee of 1,200 citizens, 0.024% of Hong Kong, picked the candidates who Hong Kong then has the power to select among. A two-stage process with a filter at the first stage. And we can see it across the history of democracy in America. In the South, there was a general election. All citizens got to vote. But before that, there was a white primary where only whites got to vote. And you had to do very well in the white primary if you wanted to be able to run in the general election. A two-stage democracy with a biased filter in the first stage. This is Tweedism. Because what Boss Tweed said is, I don't care who does the electing as long as I get to do the nominating. In America today, we take it for granted. Campaigns have to be privately funded. So candidates for Congress and members of Congress spend anywhere between 30 and 70% of their time raising money to get back to Congress or to get their party back into power. And as they do this, they learn which buttons to push. And the fact is... The number of Americans who are relevant funders, who give at a level that makes it significant enough for anybody to care about what they think is about .05% of America, .05%, which means about 150,000 Americans which the internet tells me is the same number of people as are named Lester in the United States. And after the Supreme Court's decision in McCutcheon this year, that number is going to fall to no more than 35,000, which, as the internet tells me, is the same number of people as are named Sheldon in the United States. And after the D.C. Circuit's decision and speech now, which created the super PAC, the number of people who are indirectly affecting elections is now extraordinarily small. So in 2012... Sixty percent of the Super PAC money came from 132 Americans, which is about the number of Adolfs in America right now. So, whether it's Lester Lan, or Sheldon C. or Adolphia, the point is we've built a democracy where a tiny, tiny fraction of the one percent dominate this first stage, and the consequence of this is a democracy responsive to the funders only. The problem of the tiniest fraction of the 1% funding campaigns could be fixed through a simple statute that would change the way we fund elections by creating small-dollar public funding of elections, so that we spread out the number of funders. Just like the history of voting was to go from a tiny fraction of America who could vote to everyone who could vote, we can go from a tiny fraction who are effective funders of election to everybody who funds election, and Congress could do that tomorrow. And so what we said was, therefore, we need to get a Congress who will do it. We need to elect a Congress that would pass fundamental reform. What we're saying is we have one objective, to change the way campaigns are funded. I want to be the Grover Norquist of reform. So we want to elect candidates who have committed to passing fundamental reform. If we get a Congress, a majority, 218 in the House and 60 in the Senate committed to that, then we think we can pass that fundamental reform. It's not about electing a hundred members of Congress, it's not about electing 200 uh, in the House. You know, it's literally, we've got to find 10 votes in the Senate, that's it. We can't go on anymore like this. As a democracy, we are not functioning, that's not because of Obama or because of John Boehner, It's because of the structure of fundraising that has morphed into this cancer that we've got to find the strength to stand up and do something about Now, I say that to focus on really what is the extraordinary part of the Hong Kong story. Because what's striking about those protests is it means those kids haven't given up. They actually believe there's something they can do to revive, to establish, to build a democracy. Our democracy has failed on our watch, which means we have failed our children, even if you think it's impossible. What is your obligation as a citizen, as a patriot, as someone who loves this country? What is your obligation? This is all about help us in this first stage to demonstrate it's possible so that the political pundits say, you know, in fact, Americans care about the corruption And we could actually win a Congress committed to reform. And if we could show that with real data, we could, in the strategic places we're fighting, do something to bring about this kind of reform. This is the moral question of our age. Can we reclaim a democracy?
2: Joel, driving through Kansas. Hey, Joel, what's up?
3: Uh, well, my, my question to you is, what if we're going to talk about money and politics and we're going to talk about corporations, are we not going to talk about SEIU, George Soros, Warren Buffett, those individuals as well, and numerous other billionaires on the left that also contribute? Sure. Why not? Why not? I mean, are we going to... Restrict that that money flow as well. Yes, of course. Okay, well, and that, and that's fine. I mean, that's fine. I just want to. I mean, you didn't mention those
1: individuals.
2: Well, I didn't mention any specific right wingers either. I, I'm talking about money and politics. It's wrong. And okay. uh, you know, in in, in 1947, Taft Hartley specifically uh, forbade unions from participating in political activity unless they're unless they're uh, a majority of their members uh, supported it. But I would go a step further. I would say that unions, just like any other organization, whether it's a church, a 501c3, whether it's Karl Rove's uh, PAC, or whether it's Tom Steyer's PAC, that none of them should be able to, that the money is not speech. Money, is, Spending money for politics is behavior. And behavior can be regulated. And that behavior it should be an absolutely equal level playing field. If a union wants to participate in politics, or the Koch brothers want to participate in politics, the rules should be the same. And those rules, after 1973, were pretty stringent. There were, you know, there were only particular, very specific ways that you could insert money into a political campaign, and it had to be highly transparent. And that has been devastated by the U.S. Supreme Court. And, and, uh, I, I and, and frankly, I believe, Joel, that if these rules were put into place, that it would actually benefit the unions. Now I know that there are people in the union movement who strongly disagree with me on this, and and in fact there were a couple of Democratic senators and members of the House of Representatives who recently introduced an, an amendment to the U.S. Constitution that would say that the the you know the right to spend money on politics is not a uh, a free speech right, at least for for profit corporations. And my response to them, and in one case I actually, you know, met with the legislative director of one of these senators and said, I think you're wrong. I don't think that you should limit this to for-profit corporations. And you know, one of the most politically active non-for-profit corporations, the two, the two largest, one handling over $300 million, the other handling, you know, five over $500 million, are run by Karl Rove and David Koch and, and, and Charles Koch but you know so you want to exempt nonprofits you'll just see all the all the corruption move over to the nonprofit side and oh and the other big player are the you know in aggregate the unions are probably spending money that's at a level similar to that but where I, in my opinion this would work to the benefit of a union is that if you level that playing field and said, that's it, no more institutional involvement in politics. Institutions, whether they're unions, whether they're churches, whether they are corporations, do not have a First Amendment right to involve themselves in politics. If we were going to go back before the 1977 Boston versus Pilate decision that, that basically said, A, money is speech, and B, corporations can participate in that. Um, uh, and this was heavily pushed by uh, Lewis Powell, by the way. If we went back to that, then... Frankly, I think that works to the benefit of unions because unions are democracies. Corporations are not democracies. Corporations are kingdoms. So if the CEO of a corporation, you know, say the CEO of AT&T pushes out an email to, to all, you know, 70,000 employees they have or however many they have in the United States saying, you know, you really should vote for Mitt Romney this time around. You know, people will look at that and go, yeah, maybe yes, maybe no, I don't care. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I'm not going to do it just because he said so. On the other hand if a union says to its membership who should we as a union endorse and more than 51% of the members say oh you should endorse Mitt Romney then that union is you know it's it, there's shoe leather there they can say you know okay go out and and call people you know do things that don't involve cash And and because it's a democracy, it's a membership organization. Any membership organization can enlist its members. But I don't think Grover Norquist, with his you know his fifteen million dollar lobbyist here on on K Street in Washington D.C., I don't think that he's going to enlist an army of people who you know shoe leather who are going to show up at the doors of of members of Congress the way that that uh, that people who are interested in their own survival in the workplace can and do. Am I making sense, Joel?
3: Well, yeah, and and you just brought up a, another point that that's very evident, right? Even right now, is money in, in lobbying and 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 the uh, and laws because you know the, this whole Keystone Pipeline issue. I, I do know that that you know Warren Buffett does own the our part ownership in the railway that brings oil right now down from Canada, where he's he's been the biggest biggest voice behind the scenes against the keystone, because if that occurs, then he's out multi-millions, billions of dollars, because uh, the, the, now it's not shipping down here via rail. It's coming down via the pipeline.
2: Yeah, well, so, it's, not, it's not in large quantities. It's not being shipped down by rail anyway. Um, it's, you know, but, and 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 I think you're wildly overestimating uh, the size of, of CXX's, CSX's, uh, position within Buffett's portfolio. And then you're wildly overestimating the consequences of, of their carrying a lot of oil or not carrying a lot of oil. Right now, they're actually arguably losing money for Warren Buffett on carrying that oil because they're using these old 111 cars that blow up. And every time one blows up, it wipes out the profitability for the previous quarter. And it's happening more and more frequently. So it's really problematic for them. And I have never heard Warren Buffett make any statement at all about Keystone XL. So, you know, again, but if, you know, you can take it from a conservative perspective, I can take it from a liberal perspective. I think that what we both can agree on, I hope, Joel, is that our politicians should be representing the voters, we the people. They should be doing what we want, whatever that is, Not not what their rich donors want.
3: And 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 that is absolutely one point we can totally agree on is that money in either either in the political process or in the legislative process, it, as long as it's there, it it does hinder. But like me, I'm, I'm On the road from I'm I'm on the road from Iowa to spend four months down in uh, Tucson, Arizona, for my job being away from my family, because that's the job I can get right now that pays well enough. For, for, and it does take away from from our voice when the money in either the legislative or the political sector is influenced yeah. by that. And that is one thing we can definitely agree on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Joel, thank you very much for the call. Be sure to check out Movetoamend.org, by the way. They're, they're pulling together a coalition of Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Greens, everybody uh, on this one issue of ending this idea that money is speech and corporations are persons. Thank you, Joel.
4: About a month ago, we talked about how the uh, senators who voted yes to the Keystone XL pipeline had received about six times as much money as those who voted no from relevant industries. We now have yet another similar headline, and this comes to the recent giant spending bill that we talked about last week that has passed. The campaign contributions of the yes voters on that spending bill were two times as high as those who voted no from the financial insurance and real estate industries the center for responsive politics cross referenced all of the data and this d- includes not only PAC money affiliated with the industries but also employees of firms in those industries and on average members of congress who voted yes to that insane spending bill that had all sorts of crazy stuff in it good for corporations and rich people bad for the lower and middle class the yes votes received on average $322,000 from those relevant industries and those who voted no about $162,000 the uh contrast is even more exaggerated on the democratic side than the republican side and as we say time and time again yes on many issues democrats are almost always right and republicans are almost always wrong But on a whole other host of issues, the Democrats are the same plutocratic corporatists, by and large, as are the Republicans. And every time we talk about this, we do have this causation-correlation, chicken-egg type of scenario. Did they vote in this way because of the amount of money they received? Or is it because they already expressed to these industries that they would be voting in this way that they received more or less money? I don't know and to be quite honest Louis it doesn't much matter because the system that allows for us to speculate in this way either of those scenarios is a corrupt and bad system and we should of course be trying to get money out of politics I've been saying it weekly for years we're not really getting any closer to that and if anything we're getting farther and farther away more and more money is coming into politics it seems for a lot of these politicians uh, they are most interested in keeping their jobs in, in running again and having a successful campaign, uh, they like, they like to the, have the cushy lifestyle. And, uh, in order to keep that, this is just what you have to do. Not that we needed yet another study to tell us that money talks though, right? Uh, no, 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 of course not. In just about every vote, uh, you can follow the money and, and, and discover the type of thing that we're discovering here.
0: Everyone in America knows that December basically gets written off as a loss, where everything goes to hell, and then in January, we all pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and start fresh, pretending that we didn't all just make complete fools of ourselves over the holidays. Well, Harry's.com has a suggestion about starting the year off right, and you may not be surprised to hear that it involves buying shaving supplies available at Harry's.com. And that may sound self-serving of them, but I promise it is actually very mutually beneficial. Harry's isn't just about better products that deliver a better shave, which they are and do, but it's also about a better purchasing experience and, most importantly, saving money, which most of us would very much like to be doing right now. Their blades are about half the price of name brand drugstore blades, and shipping is free. Plus, and I am talking from about 15 years shaving experience, these are actually the best blades I've ever used. So go to Harry's.com to try them out. You'll thank me later. And to help you with your first order, use the offer code BEST to save $5 off your purchase. That's just the word BEST, which you enter during checkout to save $5. And that lets them know that you're supporting this show at the same time.
2: Take a look
5: Corporations are giving more to politicians than at any other point in American history. The question is, what are they getting in return for this investment? Joining me now to help answer that question is attorney David Tassell. So, David, we've talked a lot on this show about how corporations are just pouring more money than ever into uh, political campaigns, into lobbying. But one of the things uh, that's really been relatively hidden all these years is what they're getting in return. Now we have this new report out from the Sunlight Foundation that really just lays bare everything that corporations are getting from all of this money. Uh, Take it
6: from the top. Uh, yeah, the Sunlight Foundation, for everybody, everybody's benefit, is a nonpartisan, nonprofit, uh, open government organization, and they they looked at uh, the three years before Citizens United and the three years after to see what type of influence uh, the top 200 uh, companies that contribute that are politically active are actually getting. And what they found was really astounding. Uh, for the 5.8 billion that was paid in from 2007 to 2012 on federal elections, they received $4.4 trillion, that's trillion with a T, in government benefits. That's a return on every dollar of $760 to the, to the benefit of the corporations. So for every
5: $1 that they put into a campaign, they get a $760 benefit. Uh, you just pointed out, they're spending billions and they're getting trillions in return. And uh, on top of that we also find out from the sunlight foundation they have you know as many as i think about 20500 lobbyists uh, you know out there every day in washington dc you know, fighting for the the, the interests of these corporations. I mean, th- these are not groups that are fighting on behalf of people. These are all for corporations to to kill labor laws, to kill environmental regula- regulations, to kill Wall Street regulations, to kill everything under the sun that they believe might hurt their business. And uh, according to this report, it looks like they're they're winning.
6: It, it does. It it looks like that exactly. And it's it's really. It's really astounding. I mean, I think we need to start with the Citizens United de- decision. And, and I know most of the viewers of the show know about that and are, and are really astute about that. But it's important to talk about the Citizens United decision was a U.S. Supreme Court decision in 2010 that basically said the First Amendment protected corporations and corporations' ability to dump unlimited amounts of money into our elections, and 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 the reason, one of the reasons the court said they could do it in a five to four vote, with the conservatives uh, swinging the balance. One of the reasons they said that this was allowed is that this would not cause corruption or even the appearance of corruption in in, in our political system. And in fact, what this study is showing is the exact opposite: is that the corporations are flooding these elections with. Tr- billions and billions of dollars to to exclude the voice of the regular person. I mean, it, it, what what really is harmed here is democracy and the regular person's ability to have a say in what we're going to do in this country. Uh, and, and that's what's really, really just sad at, at this point. And, you know,
5: they're not just over there buying corporations. This is now part of everyday business. I mean, you know, they've essentially partnered with the federal government, as if they would, you know, merge with another company in the same industry, you know, say now, uh, basically, instead of having Exxon and Mobile, they become Exxon Mobile, but now it's... ExxonMobil, U.S. Congress. <laughs> I mean,
6: that's, that's, that's really what's and, happening and, here. And, and what's even worse, what's even scarier, Farron, is that we're not just talking about the Exxons and the McDonald's and the Walmarts. We're talking about the, the, the biggest, let's look at the, what the Sunlight Foundation found, is that the biggest winners of this corporate, uh, uh, the, the, this government bailout for corporations were the banks, were UBS, were Deutsche Bank, were, were, were all of the Credit Suisse. And those are the three biggest, and, and they are not even American companies. We're talking about our government partnering with foreign corporations to their be- write laws and give money to them for their benefit at the expense of the American taxpayer. Something's gone wrong here, and there needs to be a change.
5: And one of the problems is that these trillions of dollars in returns that they get after spending billions is that they then take those trillions and spend it on more politicians. As we've discussed Correct. on this show before, uh, uh, especially uh, the bankers, they're giving pretty much evenly to both the Democrats and the Republicans. That way, you know, that's like walking up to a roulette table, putting down a $5 chip on every number on the table. Yeah, you may lose a little, but regardless, you're going to win something. And that's well, essentially what they've done. This, this Wall Street casino is betting on every single politician, win or lose, they win.
6: Right. But but it's rigged. I mean, it's still rigged, which is, it's not just betting, but, but the idea that there's not some, uh, that there's not some corruption or, or, or appearance of corruption that's being affected here, where the corporations, once they give this money. They at least have access to these politicians, whether they're Democratic or Republican. And once they have that access, they can sit down and say, you know what, if we don't get A, B, and C, which is what we want, we'll take our big pile of money and give it to the other side, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, and you'll lose the next time around. That's the way this is working. So, yeah, is it, is, it a, is it a bag full of money? Is this American hustle where somebody's got a, a – maybe sometimes it is, but, but is that what we're talking about here? No, but we're talking about the ability of these corporations to control the congressman and the senator, whether he's a Democrat or she's a Republican or an independent. And as you just pointed out, it
5: is all about access. If you get a phone call in your office from somebody that gave $2 million to your campaign, you're going to pick up that phone and you're going to listen to what they had to say. And that's a large part of what the Sunlight Foundation found out is you know, they have the access. We don't have it. I don't have it. I I don't have a lobbyist up there in Washington uh, fighting for anything that I need, but but these guys do, and they have the access. If they're not the ones making the phone call, then those lobbyists are up there making those phone calls on, on their behalf.
6: Right. I mean, and, and time after time, the polls that are being done by uh, that are being done out there are showing that that the American people still have uh, some level of confidence in their own local government uh, because be, the places that really aren't being affected by this flood of corporate money, but 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 at the federal level. People just don't trust that their, own, their congressman or their senator is looking out for them. And, and what happens is you have less turnout. You have less participa- participation in the democratic process. And once you have that happen, you have a loss of a belief and a loss of confidence in our country as a whole. And again, that is something that really has to change. Our Constitution was not created to protect corporations that have no uh, lifespan, that have no purpose for being other than to make a gob of money. They're for the people. And they should be protecting the people of the country.
2: I used to think that voting was a patriotic chore. Election Day was drudgery. The whole thing was a bore. Now it's a seller's market. The Supreme Court doesn't care. So no, i the metaphor that is made is that the banks are gambling we're we're covering their losses if they make a profit they keep the profit if they lose then we pay the we pay the loss that's the metaphor and it's an apt metaphor but nobody would suggest that the federal government should backstop all of us if we went to las vegas so, Because I think that that kind of pushes the, the boundaries of an appropriate metaphor. So here's what I think is an appropriate metaphor. If you have a 401k or any re- reinvestment at all, any kind of retirement investment funds, and most Americans have something, actually not, about a third of Americans have something. It might just be $500 in a savings account, but whatever it is, If you've got, but in particular, if you've got some money invested in the stock market or the bond market, which, by the way, is much safer right now than the stock market, Um, if you've got money invested in gold, whatever it may be, you've got some money invested. If this piece of legislation protected you and me the same way it protects Jamie Dimon and Citigroup and Bank of America and all these guys, it would mean that if your retirement account, say you got ten thousand bucks in your retirement account, and it goes up to ten thousand three hundred, you know, it goes up three percent, you get to keep the three hundred dollars and the ten thousand. But let's say that the market uh, has a hiccup or a crash or something, and that ten thousand becomes nine thousand. Well, under these rules that are that were written by Citigroup, by a by a lobbyist for them, under these rules, if they apply to you and me. And your investment, your your financial retirement fund at $10,000 fell down to $9,000. The federal government would cut you a check for $1,000, make it up to you. They would do it out of a fund called the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC. They would write you a check to make you whole. Now, do you see that happening? Do you see anybody suggesting, hey, you know, let's make sure everybody's investments are protected? No. The only investments that they want to protect are those from about seven banks in the United States. How much money did they have to spread around to get this? It almost doesn't matter because we're talking about if they can get government backstopping, if they can get the federal government to guarantee their derivatives trading, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars in derivatives. You're talking about tens of billions of dollars in profits. And the profit will radically go up once they can say this is an FDIC-insured investment. I mean, it will radically go up. So if you're talking about tens of billions of dollars in profit, spending a couple of million dollars on a few politicians is chump change. It's nothing. And that's the essential problem that we have in America right now. We have the best government money can buy. And that's the tragedy is when you try to have a government that's the best money government money can buy, it's going to be a damn poor government. And it's not just things like the omnibus bill. Did you see this thing in in uh, North Carolina? The North, uh, this is uh, Caitlin McNeil writing over at uh, thing, at uh, talkingpointsmemo.com. The North Carolina Department of Public Instruction last week encouraged high school teachers to use a history curriculum drafted by a group funded by the Koch brothers. Now, how did this happen? Well, back in 2011, somebody dropped a whole money bomb on a bunch of Republican congressmen in North Carolina, and they passed a law requiring public schools to offer a history course called Founding Principles. And this is model legislation that came out of ALEC. They're trying to do this in states all over the country. North Carolina was just the first. So now the, now the schools in the state have to teach this course called Founding Principles. Where do they get that course? Well, just by coincidence, from the Bill of Rights Institute. They, they this, The state of North Carolina hired this group called the Bill of Rights Institute to write the curriculum. Who funds the Bill of Rights Institute? the Koch brothers so what's the curriculum about well the curriculum is about how you know the founders really didn't want a big government they didn't want government to do things like regulate polluters and oil barons and you know that that kind of thing you know Obamacare really is not all that constitutional it's really extraordinary So if you've got enough money now in America, you can get a law passed in your state that says that every school child in your state has to take a course based on a book that you yourself wrote, that rewrites the history of the United States. And it just happened in North Carolina. Coming soon to a state near you. This is the corrosive effect of money in politics. This is what Senator Sanders is talking about when he says we are becoming an oligarchy rather than a than a democratic republic. When oligarchs can literally buy a state legislature, and not just one but many, when they can buy a state legislature and then they could and then they can get that legislature to legislature to buy a history curriculum from them. You no longer have a democracy.
1: began to yearn for a less sterile, less academic way to address these issues, the issues that I was talking about. We'd begun to focus on New Hampshire as a target for this political movement, because the primary in New Hampshire is so incredibly important. There was a group called the New Hampshire Rebellion that was beginning to talk about how would we make this issue of this corruption central in 2016. This is a revival, a revival. Fifteen years ago, this state was at the center of a national movement. Granny D, on January 1st started her walk from L.A. to Washington, 13 months later arriving at the age of 90. In June of 1999, 15 years ago, John McCain came to Bedford and said his campaign was about the system of corruption in Washington cross-partisan national campaign to bring America to focus on this critical issue. Now, they were ahead of their times. And what we have to do is to revive their movements, to revive their movements. So in 2016, just, well, Jason could throw it that far, I couldn't, but the stones throw away from here, the very first votes are cast for a candidate who has made this his or her issue. No one likes no one likes Congress. What's Congress' approval rating right now? Like two percent or something? Yeah. You know, why do you Pretty think that, that, that is? Because they're not trying to yeah. make us happy. They're trying yeah. to make the money happy.
7: Yeah. So hey, if you bump into a presidential
0: candidate in a year or two, would you yeah. mind asking them a question for us? What, what are they going to do about the corruption in D.C.? Make yeah. that your first question. I will. Great. And I, and you know what? They'll probably write to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, oh, yeah. just, you just got to look at them and you got to say, well, hey, I got one question for you first, or you got my vote. What are you going to do about the corruption in Washington? That sound like something you could do? If you ever met one of those guys? If I ever met one, sure. Yeah, if they ever come (laughs) right here. I can
1: tell you they're going to stumble on their face and not have an answer. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's (laughs) the whole goal. (laughs) Well, if you'll do that, man. (laughs) Isn't it it fun to watch them
0: do that? That's the whole point. (laughs) Can I ask you a quick question? Try me. How do you feel about the corruption in Washington, D.C.?
8: It's bad. I'm a small business owner of 22 years in Gorham and it's awful. Yeah. You know, I'm in Congress and I know we can't reform ourselves from within. We need all of you to do this. And the money that's coming is corrupting the process and it's corrupting our democracy.
9: But um, I, I really think that this strategy of focusing on the primary here in New Hampshire is exactly right. I mean, you know,
6: we'd love to figure out a way to work together. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. set up that. Beginning
7: See, if you know how politics works, you're wasting your time doing anything but this. So there's no way you're going to win on any other issue if you don't win on this issue. People are really cynical right now. They feel
10: like their voice isn't being heard in Washington, uh-huh. and really big money is the one that runs the show. Yeah. You know, the fix is in. They're frustrated by that. They think, and they're right. They think that it affects the kind of public policy that gets made.
1: Yeah, well, the idea is, if we can begin to seed in the minds of New Hampshire voters, that they have an opportunity and a responsibility um, to redirect the focus of the presidential campaign to make the presidential candidates address this issue uh, and begin a conversation about how, in fact, this hopelessness that most people feel could be uh, remedied. Um, uh, then, in a competitive presidential race, my belief is some candidates would respond. I'd rather be a star than a snail Yes, I would. If I could, I'd show you-
0: You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, walk across New Hampshire with the New Hampshire Rebellion. Not necessarily literally. Inspired by Doris Haddock, a.k.a. Granny D, who in 1999 at the age of 88 walked from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. with a sign on her chest that read Campaign Finance Reform, the New Hampshire Rebellion is a walk across the state which holds the nation's first presidential primary to bring attention to the corrupting influence of money in politics. New Hampshire Rebellion is a nonpartisan movement designed to prove to politicians that they're wrong when they repeatedly brush off the issue, thinking Americans don't care about the wholesale purchase of our elections. Organizers are hoping to give people a tangible, simple, yet gutsy action to demonstrate in a visible way that can't be ignored, especially in a state where candidates are expected to shake the hand of every registered voter." If money in politics can become an issue in New Hampshire, it will necessarily be addressed by every presidential hopeful next year, and the mainstream media will be unable to ignore it. At walk.nhrebellion.org, you can find all the ways to support those walking from January 11th through the 21st. You can sponsor a walker, donate your Twitter and Facebook accounts, the same way you may already do with Best of the Left and other shows, and read and share the NHR hashtag to amplify the walk in real time. Last year, over 200 people came together in the middle of winter to demand a representative government. Then, this past summer, over 500 joined in a walk down the New Hampshire coast. As word continues to spread, the growth of the action starting next week could be exponential. So follow along, support New Hampshire rebellion, and maybe even consider a small demonstration in your state, especially if your state has an early primary or caucus. I'm looking at you, Iowa. The segment notes include all of the links to this information as well as additional resources. And as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the activism tab at bestoftheleft.com. If continuing to fight to get money out of politics matters to you, be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about New Hampshire Rebellion via social media so that others in your network can follow the walk and learn about the cause.
7: News. Now, you remember Wolfpack, of course, trying to go to all the different states. Thirty-four states is what we need. We need two-thirds of the states to call for a convention, to get money out of politics. Okay, that's how we're going to get the amendment. We don't need Washington at all if we do it on the state level. I don't need any of those corrupt politicians, Republicans, Democrats. I don't need no political leader to save me. I don't care about 2016 and who's going to be our savior. No, no, we're our savior. So, of course, we were told all along it was impossible. Then, all of a sudden, we put up Vermont on the board, which literally someone told us that was involved in Vermont politics was, quote, impossible, right? So all of a sudden, we had our brave little state of Vermont who stepped up to the plate, as they usually do, and they said, that's okay, you can't get a big state, and all of a sudden, we put California up on the board, and that was state number two. I believe that's a fairly large state. Now, we're on to the state of Illinois. I've told you a couple things about them. Now, remember, we already had uh, the resolution calling for the convention pass in the Senate in Illinois. That was uh, 37 to 15, and uh, it was a great resolution put uh, forward by uh, Willie Delgado, who's a great senator, the leader of this fight there, it was an American hero. I'll get to him in a second. Uh, and we have gone through committee in the House, and we have gone through a lot of struggles. And there was going to be a vote. We didn't think we had enough votes. We pulled it back. And then uh, we were supposed to have a vote right before the end of the year. And that vote just happened. I mean, you did hear the bugles, didn't it? Now, wait, hold on now, hold on. The problem with this, uh, uh, Illinois is that in their Congress, in their legislature... You need two-thirds to get a vote like this. I'm sorry, three-fifths to get a vote like this. So 60%. Now, as as you know from national politics, 60% is a really, really hard number to get, and the minority can block a lot of things. So in this case, you need 71 votes in Illinois' House, right? There's only 71 Democrats. Every one of them has to show up. Every one of them has to agree, and every one of them has to vote yes And then we'd like a Republican for a cushion, right? That would be terrific, and we'd reach out to a lot of Republicans. So did we get it? Boom! 72 to 40. By the skin of our teeth. But guess what? The third state to call for a convention! Here comes the great state of Illinois! We're going to Vermont! We're going to California! We're going to Illinois! Oh, wear me out, man. Let me say all 34 states on one ship. (laughs) Look at that map. I remember when that map didn't have any shining states. Now we have three that are on the board. Let me tell you about the American heroes in this fight. Uh, First of all, the legislators. Okay, They're the ones who voted for it. In essence, we're calling these guys our new founding fathers because they are rescuing our democracy by getting money out of politics. Delgado in the Senate was unbelievable. Our state leader talked to him; he actually listened to him. This is what democracy is supposed to be like. And he said, "You know what? You make a good point. I'll go ahead and introduce that resolution." Who says that on the national level? Who hears out a constituent? Isn't that amazing? He was an absolute fighter and a hero and a champion for that. Now, Representative Linda Chapalavia was also fantastic in this fight. Uh, Of course, uh, she led it and introduced it in the House. The Speaker of the House, Representative Michael Madigan, was a critical figure. Now, he is actually the longest-serving Speaker of any legislature in any state. And now that guy keeps his word. And that is very important. And he's one of the 21st century founding fathers as well. Also in the House, House Majority Leader uh, Barbara Curry, Representative Robert Mark Wick, we'll hear from him in a second. Then Representative Robert Pritchard, Assistant Majority Leader, uh, Representative Art Turner Jr., Representative LaShawn Ford, the Judiciary Committee Chair Elaine Neckritz, and then the 45 representatives who co-sponsored SJR 42. Uh, these, this is how we do it, man. In every state, you've got to get brave, uh, heroic legislators who actually care about the citizens, who care about their constituents, who hear them out. They got call after call. You, th- what you What do you think we were doing? <laughs> okay. I mean, we have been attacking the whole time. And so whether it's people who are on our side, we enthusiastically support. Whether people who are, need to be convinced, we convince. People who are against us, well, everybody remembers Valancourt up in New Hampshire. Uh, you're going to have to remember him because he's no longer in office. Right? So we do the whole range of activities here, and we unleash the wolf pack in Illinois. That's where they got the famous... Nicknamed the Mountain Army. When one of the people working at the legislator's office said, who is this Mountain Army you have? Another person in the legislator's office said, "Uh, (laughs) I don't know how I'm getting all my constituents calling me. I've never seen this kind of calls, right? By the way, when we started in Illinois, a lobbyist, this is literally true, a lobbyist came up to one of our uh, workers, one of our volunteers, and said to him, Oh, you're going to try to get this? It, with all this entrenched politicians in Illinois, the way things are done, you're going to come in and bring in a new resolution that's going to call for a, a convention to get an amendment to get money out of politics? He literally laughed in our face. Who's laughing now? Illinois is on the board. All right, now, let me go to those legislators who do such an amazing job here. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Representative Curry that I told you about. Uh, initially, she was a little reluctant But she's going to explain here why she switched over and decided to support it.
8: So any
2: effort to overturn Citizen United is one that I feel I must support. I would prefer the federal Congress to decide to offer an amendment through the states that would overturn Citizen United. They don't seem likely to do it at this point, but it is fair to say that in the past, many times when a a proposal like this reaches a critical number of states supporting it. Congress wakes up, smells the coffee, and does the right thing.
7: See, there's a growing recognition about state, from state legislators saying, hey, you know what? Congress ain't going to do it. If we don't push them super hard, they're just going to sit on their ass. They're not going to do a damn thing about it. It's time to start pushing. So now we go to Representative Chapa Lavia, who again was heroic in uh shepherding this process through the House. Let's go to our there,
8: there exists over seven hundred state application on a variety of issues, including those from forty-nine states previously passing resolutions and forty-five states with current applications. Only conventions called on the same issues are counted together, which is how we know that the convention scope will be limited to a single issue once convened. There there have been over 233 state conventions to amend and adopt state constitutions with zero, once again, zero runaway conventions, which is just a conspiracy theory promoted by certain society. If you could take 10 applications on issue A, 20 applications on issue B, and four applications on issue C, count them together and call them a convention on those three issues, we would have have already had a convention.
7: Now, I love what she's saying there, because she's putting down the conspiracy theories. Oh, my God, you're going to get a runaway convention. They try to scare people that way. And she explains that that is... Not possible because of the facts that she explained there. No, it is for a specific purpose. We're going to get money out of politics. 95% of Americans agree with us. Yes, there's heroic work done by the Wolfpack volunteers, which I'm going to tell you about in a second, right? But it it gets easier once it's introduced because it's hard for a legislator to say, I disagree with 95% of my constituents. So I'm glad she knocked down that conspiracy theory here. Then she makes another case here.
8: So it has to stay within the scope. And please remember this. With the undoing of Citizens United, today, as we sit here, anybody from around the world could take Alinda Linda lavia or Joe Sosnowski or anybody and give you $2 billion and run you for President of the United States, and we wouldn't be able to do anything about it. Our politics and policy in this country is not for sale Please allow us to have a voice at that convention.
7: Not for sale. I love it. Love to hear actual legislators saying the same things we've all been saying together, and and we've been shouting from the rooftops. Now they're beginning to as well. Let me go to Representative Martwick here. I don't think there are very many people in our country,
2: or even in this in this body here today, that would suggest that the ramifications of the Citizens United. Uh, decision has been healthy to our process. It has taken a government that was founded on the principles of
7: by the people and for the people and then put it in the hands of secret money. Well, it's time to end that, and it was an excellent case he made about the problem. So what's the solution? Let's hear him out on that.
2: I also find it fascinating that the framers of our Constitution and their infinite wisdom put this tool in for us to take advantage because they knew that future generations of americans that
7: they would have the confidence in them to do the right things just as they did the right thing when they put together the constitution that we now so enjoy you see this process is in the constitution and it's in there for a reason because the founding fathers knew we would need it at some point this is that point now let me tell you about the volunteers these are also american heroes one of the guys said and i love these things, they're real citizens man they're not, they're not lobbyists they're not lawyers, they're not trained at this, they're not politicians, right? One guy said, hey, listen, I was tired of just getting drunk and doing nothing. <laughs> I thought, you know what, why don't I just do something with my life and try to get into the battle and see if we can make a difference? And it turns out he did. That guy made a ton of calls, convinced legislators, that's why we won. And he said at the end, I'm proud that I decided to sign up with Wolfback, because this victory is the greatest thing I've ever been involved in in my life. And that's what you have to understand. A lot of people think, oh, it's hard work. Yeah, it, it is, no question. But when you win, nothing feels better. When we sent that Wolf t- uh, Team 6 uh, up to New Hampshire to go get Valancourt, when we went to, uh, sent them there to support our guys in Vermont and New Hampshire and we won, oh, that felt good. When you get legislators to change their mind, that feels phenomenal. When you finally get the victory, you feel like you're part of change because you are. You don't need a magical man, whether it's Obama or anyone else. You actually can actually put your own walking boots on and make a difference. So along those lines, let me give you these volunteers. Our state leader uh, in Illinois is Richard Diesel Lake, and uh, he's also our membership outreach coordinator, and no one works harder. He's the guy that in the beginning he's like, well, if it's just me, it's just me. I'm going to pick up the phone, and I'm going to start making phone calls. And he went down the list and called all of the senators in in Illinois. And he's the one who got to Delgado and started talking to Delgado. And he convinced Delgado. And Delgado said, hey, Diesel, you're right. Let me introduce it. (laughs) But that could be you. (laughs) Diesel isn't some sort of political wonk or lobbyist or anything. He's just a guy who wanted to make a difference. He convinces a state senator, and off we go. And You know what happened? He gets a little bit of success. More people uh, join in. They start making calls. They get some success, we pass it in the Senate, more people join in, and now all of a sudden, Diesel's got a mountain army. Okay, and these are the guys who did an unbelievable job in Illinois. Here they are, the organizers, Susan Reed Singer, Derek Doc Daniels, he's also our bannerman in Chicago for TYT. I like their nicknames, you know me, I love that. Kit Cabello, and then Murray the Merciless Bowie, Matt Cotton, Vince Wordslayer Wallace, Sean Kimbrough, and W.L. Fort. Now, here are the volunteers. Jerry Ryberg, Jamal Lawson, Kira Elliott, Tara Tanone, Maurice Randall, Osa Mudayan Okundaye, a.k.a. Double O. <laughs> Jenny Wang, who is our TYT ambassador, also lives in Illinois, and uh, she joined in the cause. Elizabeth Lindquist, Andrew Sigmund, Peter Wolfrider, Cremidius. I think I said your last name wrong, but it sounds badass either way. All right, Allison Kruger, Stephanie Adams, Roger Hansen, Deborah Daniels, Kara Daniels, Ronnie Blood Oath Sandick. <laughs> this is your Mountain Army. Wait a minute, what is this? What is that last name on there? Cenk Uger. <laughs> and the entire Mountain Army. Why am I on the list? Because I decided that I was going to uh, get in. We were so close. We had 67 votes that we knew for sure we were going to get, but we need 71. So the entire Wolfpack team from all across the country joined in on the calls, and so did I. And i got to tell you, the first time I started doing the calls, I got nervous. Isn't that funny? Because like, So it's perfectly normal. Everybody gets a little nervous. Like, I'm about to call people in, in their house. I'm coming to their house. <laughs> right? But once you make a couple of calls, you're like, oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. And here's a citizen talking to another citizen. Uh, and, and one of the people I talked to, she's like, oh. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to support you. I put the phone down, and I was like, (laughs) oh, it feels so good, man. So do something good for yourself. Join this effort, man. I can't wait to read your name in the next state that we get. Okay, because we're going to keep on going. And let me show you a picture, by the way, from uh, the day that they celebrated the victory. Just a couple of the guys out there, uh, and Diesel's over there on the right, a bunch of the guys who've been working super hard in Wolfpack, Illinois. They got it done. Do they look like lobbyists to you? They're not lobbyists. Okay, they're regular guys just like you. And by the way, what are you doing? You're just picking up the phone, right? It's a lot of people fight for freedom and democracy. There were people willing to lay their lives down in the Civil Rights Movement. They had hot coffee thrown on their face when they were doing the sit-ins in the diners. And uh, they had the KKK waiting outside for them when they stepped out of the diners. Okay, well, you can't make a couple of phone calls? wolf packcom man. Let them know we're coming. wolf packcom I'm going to tell you how you're going to get involved in wolf pack attacks in one second. But I want to give you the honorable mentions as well. Larry Lessig, Professor... At Harvard Law School, who is godfather of the movement, said, "Oh, you need me to stop everything I'm doing? Go and testify in Illinois. Done. Came in, testified, left three hours later. Uh, spent, uh, you know, a considerable amount of time, money, resources to make sure that he stood up and he talked to the legislators and got it done. Esther, the godmother, Lake—that's Diesel's mom. Uh, if people needed food and shelter, they go to the godmother and she would take care of them. <laughs> Man, look, you got an army." Somebody's got to feed them, right? And we got to stick together. So they literally would go to Diesel's house and his mom would cook for him. And then we had Maryland Senator Jamie Raskin, uh, who is a great fighter all across the country for this, and he called one of the legislators. He said, oh, you need help in an law? I know that guy. I can make that call. How great is that? He calls the legislator. He says, y- y- you got to, you got to see it our way here. He explains the case. The guy says, you're right. Democracy! Democracy! feels fantastic. And then Jenny Franklin was a really important uh, legislative aide to Representative Chapa Livia. And those are the people who get things done. And uh, she helped to make this happen. And finally, I want to tell you how you can get involved. Okay, if you want to do these Wolf Pack attacks that we do, that I was involved in, that I made the calls from, ooh, you're going to love it, okay? It's WolfAttack at Wolf-Pack.com. WolfAttack at Wolf-Pack.com. And you know, sometimes it just takes an hour, you call a bunch of citizens, you talk to them, it's not that hard, at the end of the day, you're like, okay, I didn't go to war or anything, I made an hour worth of phone calls, and it made a difference, my dad saw me doing it, he's like, get me a list for New Jersey, (laughs) I was like, there you go, that's the attitude, so, here we go, they said it couldn't be done, looks like we're in the middle of doing it, why don't you join us, have a little bit of fun, and You can turn around and tell people, and this is absolutely true if we get the amendment, that you helped save our government. Isn't that amazing? We're in the middle of doing it. Knock, knock, who's there? Wolf-Pack.com
9: Collins for Cleveland yet again and I have to tell you the only thing more disgusting than the rampant epidemic of unarmed black men and children getting killed
11: <clears throat> to
9: me right now is the attitude of the police departments who have done this. Here in Cleveland one of the Cleveland Brown players wore a shirt protesting the death of two black men one man one child who were killed by police here in Ohio and the police union goes right out and berates the athletes just in the most disgustingly vile way. And standing to their guns, sticking to their guns saying that the police were justified in, you know, the killing this kid who they, 12 year old, severe rights, who they thought was 20. And Jay, people would just keep bluffing over this and no one takes the words for what they mean. A cop thought a 12 year old kid was 20 years old. If anyone thinks that a 12-year-old is 20, they have, I mean, basically the cop, the, the, the lawyer for the police department is saying that this cop, yes, he had a badge and a gun, and he was right doing what he did, but with his age-gifting abilities, he wouldn't have been okay to sell cigarettes or beer or even work at a six-flag gifting your damn birthday or age. This is ridiculous how these people could even fix their face to justify what was done instead of saying, yeah, you know what? A prior police force fired this guy because he was unfit to police. You know, if the police want to actually try to improve relations, they need to improve their performance and their attitude. I've been talking to Wade as much as Wade and I can, different schedules make it hard. But when you get someone conservative like Wade, very progressive like me, coming to agreement that this is just disgusting, guess what? That's a pretty good demographic to go across, from conservatives to fairly liberal all in unison saying that the police state right now is just disgusting. Thanks for your show, Jake.
11: This is Nathan Heavenstone from no Um, I just want to say something to, um, my fellow white people, um, so I have uh, my profile pic on numerous places right now, it's, um, including Facebook and I think Twitter, um, is a uh, thing that says Black Lives Matter. Um, and I have routinely gotten comments on seen elsewhere people trying to say all lives matter. Yeah, of course all lives matter, but um, it's not all lives that have become targets. Cops haven't declared open season on all lives. That's what Black Lives Matter means. It's open season on black lives for cops and for others, too. George Zimmerman, after all, wasn't a cop. He got off. But, of course, it's black lives that have been killed by cops all throughout the country and black lives that have been taken. So if you want to be part of this protest at all, be an ally and not an asshole. Shut up and listen. And stop trying to appropriate the message. No one is denying that all lives matter. We're just recognizing which lives have been declared a target. And it's not all lives, and it's not white lives that have been declared a target. That's all. Thank you.
10: Hi, Jay. This is Dan Platt from Albany, New York. Wanted to leave a more functional call in response to questions about nurses striking. And I found in some old media uh, labor notes, the, this month's issue in December, uh, an article called The Logic of Short Hospital Strikes, which details how uh, it's by law they need to give 10 days notice before they strike, giving the owner the opportunity to necessary time to hire scabs, so a loss of care isn't guaranteed or even going to happen. Also, patients can be moved around. But why do that? Um, Well, it details how uh, even striking one day uh, hiring scabs and so on costs the owner a lot of money, especially as doctors don't want to work with scabs, so they postpone non-urgent procedures. If an owner is really rich, uh, especially since you're a non-profit, you can't... Uh, you don't answer to stockholders, but they are more image-conscious. So short strikes that are day can move public perception and get the word out. You can also do a lot of small one-day strikes, uh, not legally to announce like a string of them, but to do them based on separate issues. You can also have a troop, uh, a certain group strike, and it's not mandatory to get a list of who's striking. So that unknowables uh, really upsets bosses and the owners uh, and causes them a lot of headache uh, without have really uh, killing anyone. So it's never a tactic to do a long strike, many short ones. And so, in, you know, groups that, uh, certain individual groups can strike the leave the customers and talk to them as they go in and out of the hospital as it still operates. And even holding one strike makes participants stronger themselves, So even if it doesn't move, but commonly, monsters will work very hard to avoid strikes because they know that they will lose if it's just one day. So, hopefully this sheds some context. Look it up for yourself. I'll repeat again the logic of shore hospital strikes from Labor Notes, December 2014, issue number 429, put out by the Troublemakers. So, uh, We're all workers, so don't mourn what you lack. Organize and dump the bosses off your back. Thank you very much. Hey,
9: James Collins, Cleveland. I'm calling in regards to waiting plant voicemail and about teaching uh, religion in public school. Mixed feelings on this. First of all, being uh, you know questioning you know a god in my own stance, I find it hard to be able to preach. Religion as religion, same way people don't want global warming talked about because they feel it can't be proven. Other people can equally say that religion should not be talked because it too cannot be proven. Problem is, Wade makes an excellent point that by explaining other religions to each other, we would be less ignorant about each other. And I have to say, I think she nailed. It. Uh, when we are ignorant about each other, it's when it's easier for us to judge each other and look down our nose at each other. I think they should explain religion, not just Christianity, all religions, in the terms of culture, like a social studies class. They should not go into deep depth of religion, but maybe talk about it a little bit. This is where, I mean, if there were more people on the right, like Wade, <laughs> in my opinion, we'd be a lot better off. Because unfortunately, Wade's thinking seems to be very pragmatic and very ahead of the curve. I think in the field of most conservatives, Wade's intellectual and Wade's tolerant to carry a lot of water in the majority of the camp, which is bad for his camp. Because, I mean, it's no secret that Wade and I have grown into a pretty good friendship and we've had some great long talks, but I'm just, I'm telling you, people like Wade are a great asset to the conversation and to society. I mean, Jay, Wade and I disagree on a lot, but he and I have long conversations, you know, while we're, you know, on our airpieces while we're driving. And I'm telling you, it's just, it's amazing to find someone who is actually open-minded and will listen to some facts and, uh, a debate a little bit without being deeply entrenched. It's, uh, very refreshing and I just wish more of the country looked like the conversations I have with play. Jay again, I would have never met him or talked to him without you the show, so please keep doing what you do.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Katie Klubusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. A couple of things today. First, just a real quick note, sort of an explanation. This episode is going out like a day late, basically. And the reason for that was... What I described as nearly catastrophic technical difficulties, just to give you an idea, that uh, I, I was explaining to Katie that you know the show is going to go out late, so just be aware of that. And I explained to her what I had to do to get my computer ready to make this show, and her response was simply that sentence makes my head hurt. And then said that uh, she's like I, I I understood those words as being English, but. Aside from that, you know, not not so much. So, you know, if you were one of the very few people who really noticed actively that this show is late, my apologies. Uh, that gives you a sense as to why. Secondly, though, I wanted to talk a, b- a more just a bit about Granny D. If you uh, noticed, I was I mentioned her in the activism segment in today's show, and when making this episode, I-, I did a little bit more research on her, just a bit, just scanned her Wikipedia page, basically, and. I wanted to read something to you about her arrest at the Capitol. This happened in April in the year 2000. And so she and 31 others were arrested for reading the declaration of independence in the Capitol building. And she was charged with the offense of demonstrating in the Capitol building. And it was said to be a peaceable assembly, but the demonstrators were arrested by the Capitol police. And so then I wanted to read what she said when she was taken to court So she entered a plea of guilty and then made this statement, said, your honor – The old woman who stands before you was arrested for reading the Declaration of Independence in America's Capitol building. I did not raise my voice to do so, and I blocked no hall. I was reading from the Declaration of Independence to make the point that we must declare our independence from the corrupting bonds of big money in our election campaigns. In my 90 years, this is the first time I have been arrested. I risk my good name, for I do indeed care what my neighbors think about me. But, Your Honor, some of us do not have much power, except to put our Bodies in the way of injustice, to picket, to walk, or to just stand in the way. It will not change the world overnight, but it is all we can do. Your Honor, to the business at hand, the old woman who stands before you was arrested for reading the Declaration of Independence in America's Capitol building. I did not raise my voice to do so, and I blocked no hall. But if it is a crime to read the Declaration of Independence in our great hall, then I am guilty. And uh, the judge sentenced her to time served and a $10 administrative fee. And like I said, that happened in the year 2000, when she was 90 years old, just after she had walked across the country from LA to bring attention to the issue of money in politics. And then it's said that she celebrated her 98th, 99th, and 100th birthdays by lobbying for campaign finance reform at the New Hampshire State House, and she died at the age of 100. So just uh, just an extra touch of inspiration for you there, but that is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews in iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your account at donateyouraccount.com festival slash bestoftheleft. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And
5: it's a shame how we get so trained. Stories and wonder what we're
8: missing. We can't see past our sad stories and forget how we're sun. We can't see past.